What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Breakout Finder podcast. I'm your host today, Cody Carpentier. You can find me on Twitter at CarpentierNFL. With me this week is my main man, Josh Larkey. You can find him on Twitter at JLarkeyTweets. That's J-L-A-R-K-Y tweets, as he would say. This show is brought to you by Underdog. You can go to Underdog today, Underdog Fantasy. Use the promo code UNDERWORLD, and that will get you a $25 voucher for first-time depositors up to $50. You can use that $25 on anything on Underdog. You can play the Best Ball Mania, where Josh is closing in on 70 Best Ball Mania rosters, which is incredible. You can follow those, and you can follow him on Twitter, obviously, and see his rosters every day. He's drafting at least one, maybe two but another thing you can do on Underdog is you can play the NBA Pick'em games. Last week, Kevin Durant dropped 40 points for the Brooklyn Nets in a big win in the playoffs. I'm not big on basketball, but I know some of you are. You can pick between two and five players and props to play together, and you can win up to 20x your injury-free betting on over-unders. Get the Underdog Fantasy app today. Cody, thank you. We love basketball here. I'm five foot nine, so as you know, it's my favorite sport. Love it. Big dunker. Anyway, let's move on to some football talk. That's what the people really want. Not trying to picture five foot nine nerd Josh Larkey attempting to dunk a basketball on a <laughs> seven and a half foot rim. Let's discuss some Jets wide receivers. We we had a little bit of news drop recently with Jamison Crowder. We know that Elijah Moore has a pretty elite breakout rating on the Breakout Finder app. What are your thoughts on the Jets wide receivers and how that's going to shake out this year. I mean, I mean, if you would have told me about a week ago or two weeks ago, even that Jamison Crowder was going to stay on the Jets, I wouldn't have believed you. He was due about $10 million. None of it guaranteed in the last two years. Crowder had 137 catches, 1500 yards and 12 touchdowns. He was a pivotal role in this Jets offense that, that really was not good behind Sam Darnold and Adam Gase, obviously. But Robert Salah said he expected him to be back on the roster on June 4th, and now we're sitting here late June, and he's still on the roster. He took a restructure. He took a 50% pay cut to stay on the team. And to me, this hurts Elijah Moore a little bit, but not too much because, as we know, Zach Wilson has no affiliation to any of these receivers, Denzel Mims, Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, and Jamison Crowder. Number three breakout score in the 2021 class, 98th percentile college target share and agility score, and Moore was above average with a 21 dynamic score and a 49.1 level of competition. He also played with A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf at Ole Miss. Like, what's not to love about him? You know, how do you feel about Elijah Moore? Are you are you pushing towards him or away from him? I know in the projections, Elijah Moore and Jamison Crowder are, are neck and neck in this New York passing game. Yeah, this is a really, really difficult offense to project because... So first off, we have the rookie quarterback in Zach Wilson. We don't know what his tendencies are. We really have no idea if he's going to lock on to anyone in particular. Like you said, he doesn't have any incoming allegiance where he shows up on day one and says, I know Jameson Crowder's my slot receiver. So I think that that does bode well for Elijah Moore. I honestly think Jameson Crowder is going to start off the season a little stronger than Elijah Moore. I mean, we know that rookies generally from day one aren't firing, especially at the wide receiver position. Very few of them have that day one impact. So I I would kind of expect Elijah Moore and Jameson Crowder to end up with similar fantasy points when all is said and done in 2021. But I think Jameson Crowder is going to score a lot more early in the season with Elijah Moore kind of emerging as the season goes on for two reasons. One of them is just 
Elijah Moore getting more comfortable. And then also, I mean, Jameson Crowder's track record with health and durability. He's not necessarily the poster child from a, for a, I'm going to play every single game perspective. And then add on to that, that we have another game this year with 17 games. So I could really see Elijah Moore emerging towards the end. He's actually an interesting one because he did not have the number three breakout rating pre-NFL draft and pre-pro day. Elijah Moore was not someone we expected to be so athletic. And I, I think that's something that's that people noticed who had the Breakout Finder app and were looking at it pre-draft and then post-draft is that he was the biggest riser at the top of this class. And that at the end of the day, you'll see the, the comparison circulating on Twitter. This could be the next Antonio Brown type player. And I don't ever want to say like, this guy's the next Antonio Brown where like, pencil in that production. But if you're looking for someone who's incredibly dynamic, small, going to be playing out of the slot primarily, however, has the tools to also win on the outside. This looks like Elijah Moore. This look this looked like Antonio Brown. And then I guess the benefit for Moore over AB is that AB is a six round pick, took a while to get acclimated and kind of dudded out his rookie year. And I don't think we have to worry about that with Elijah Moore as a year two player. But another big question, though, about the Jets is, do we think this is even going to be a good offense? There's a lot of interesting pieces here. I mean, we have Elijah Moore, Crowder, Mims, Corey Davis, Keelan Cole, Chris Herndon, Michael Carter. There's a ton of guys here. And to me, it reminds me a little bit of the 2020 Bengals. Bad offensive line, rookie quarterback, and then a lot of pretty decent wide receivers. What do you, what do you see with this Jets team for 2021? I see it very similar. I don't think they're obviously going to win too many games. You know, I put that cap at maybe five or six in a 17, 18 game season. But from a talent standpoint, you're looking at a rookie quarterback tethered to a rookie receiver in T. Higgins in Cincinnati. And then you're coming here, you got Wilson tethered to Elijah Moore, of course, but they did bring in free agent Corey Davis, Denzel Mims from a year ago. You could argue the receiving core is a little bit stronger with New York from a prospect standpoint, from a, a total overall standpoint. I mean, you had A.J. Green, you had uh, T. Higgins, you had Tyler Boyd. Very similar, I guess, from a talent, from what they've done in the NFL now. The big difference is QB talent and, of course, running back talent. And when you want to go to running back, Michael Carter, where does he finish in this area? I mean, I see him, I saw him back in February, March, finishing above Javante Williams in year one. Now, in Dynasty, I would lean Javante Williams just because the profile is there, 220 pound plus back. And he's, you know, we didn't know he's going to be in Denver at that point. But even right now, I was taking, I was leaning for, if Chuba Hubbard lands in San Francisco, if Chuba Hubbard lands in New York, I'm going to lean into Chuba Hubbard. It was ended up being Michael Carter. Michael Carter. Over 1,000 yards each of the last two seasons, 20-plus receptions at North Carolina each of the last three seasons. He led North Carolina rushing and receptions with Javante Williams in that same backfield. That's really what led me towards Michael Carter. I comped him to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Player profiler has him comped to Devontae Freeman. 98th percentile agility score. He's a four-star prospect coming out of high school. I know he's 5'8", 201, but that's the same size that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was when he came out just a year ago. And if you put Michael Carter in that LSU offense, now we're going back to Joe Burrow in Cincinnati for your comparisons. If you put Michael Carter in that LSU offense just two years ago, I mean, come on, man. I, I just love Michael Carter, but I love Michael Carter for 2021, not necessarily Dynasty. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. And I think what's interesting is if you look at the Breakout Finder app, 
you'll see Michael Carter has the fourth highest breakout rating from this 2021 running back class. And you might go, oh, wow, this guy's going to be a superstar. (laughs) You have to pump the brakes a little bit and that we have to think of things in tiers and that, yes, Michael Carter might have had the fourth highest breakout rating in this class after the Najee, Etienne, Javante, big three. But it is a very steep drop off from their breakout ratings to Michael Carter's breakout rating. So we have to always temper expectations when we see someone who doesn't necessarily have a flawless prospect profile thrown into a potential starting workload. You see it year after year. Yeah, I think one of the traps that people run into is they they get too caught up in the running backs don't matter movement. And they just go, I want to chase opportunity. But what you have to remember is that in order for a running back to get the opportunity, they do have to beat out the other guys in that running back room. So talent does matter at a certain point. It matters in making sure you're the guy getting the reps. And I'm not supremely confident that Michael Carter is going to keep Ty Johnson and Tevin Coleman completely off the field. I think this is going to be a lot more of a committee than uh, like a lean on one running back type of situation for this year, at least. I mean, this isn't a competitive Jets team for 2021. I think they're really going to want to see what they have in this running back room and figure out with Ty Johnson and Michael Carter, are, are, are either of these guys potential long-term options at the position. I got to agree with you there. And and I just, I don't think Tevin Coleman is the answer, right? I think Ty Johnson's, you know, he's above average and we, we loved him, but I just don't think he's, he's there long-term. I think they're still going to be in the boat for a bell cow come next year, come the year after when we see a little stronger class, 2022, 2023. I don't think the Bobcaster, LaMichael P. Ryan's the guy, um, but that's just kind of uh, the Jets have that opportunity. They're they're not really in the win now mode where they need to have that. And and even if they don't want a bell cow, Michael Carter could sit in that role and become a James White type down the line. But let's move on to one of my favorite scores or ratings on the breakout finder. That's the receiver rating and how I like to use this finding satellite plus backs that we can use long term in the NFL in fantasy across the board. My favorite guy here is Kylan Hill. He sits 7th in the 2020 class with an 86.6 receiver rating. He's 12 points behind Kenny Gainwell, whom we've all talked about from 2020. Had 51 receptions in 2019 at Memphis. He's in Philly in the Satellite Plus role, we assume, behind Miles Sanders next to Boston Scott, etc. But Kylan Hill, he finished with a 14.1% college target share at Mississippi State. We saw him first finish with more receptions, 23 for 237 yards, then rushing attempts, 15 for 58. Now, he isn't a receiver. He's just a running back, finishing with 242 carries and 1,350 yards rushing in 2019. Josh, do you think Kylan Hill will be dropped directly into that Jamal Williams role in Green Bay? It just seems it seems too perfect for me. Do you, do you think he can carve that role out? Do you think he makes the team? He was a seventh-rounder after all. I think he makes the team. I do think that the the one thing we have to be careful about with Kylan Hill is that, like you said, he's a seventh round pick. AJ Dillon, no matter how egregious of a second round pick that was last year, I still think they're going to give Dillon first crack at a more expanded role. And that, yes, I think purely on prospect profile, AJ Dillon is not the better receiving back. I mean, Kylan Hill had what was it, like 9, 10 targets a game on average for that little micro sample of 2020 before he opted out. The guy was an absolute animal in the receiving game. And infamously, 
as Matt's kind of pounded multiple times. A.J. Dillon had a full college season with like 1,500 rushing yards at Boston College, and he didn't catch a pass one of those years. So we we know that Kylan Hill has more of that profile. It'll be interesting to see if A.J. Dillon can learn how to be a better receiver at the NFL level, since I do think that as a second-round pick, they're going to want to try and use him. They're still wedded to him in some way. They want to prove that this wasn't a wasted pick. But I think what's interesting is if you look at Jamal Williams, the past four seasons, 34, 41, 45, and 35 targets the past four seasons. So Dylan, I do think he's going to be getting 100 to 150 carries like Jamal Williams, maybe even a little more, probably some goal line work. I mean, if you have this 250-pound spark plug that you can just pencil in at the goal line, I think they're going to do it. Aaron Jones is not a running back that you want to just jam between the tackles over and over again, kind of undersized and such a an elite weapon with a high contract at this point that you want to make sure you preserve him for at least the next two to three years. So what I'm kind of expecting is that Dylan gets the first crack, but if he falters at all, I think Kylan Hill can actually end up with 100 to 150 touches as a rookie, which would be kind of surprising for a seventh round pick until you realize that this Green Bay depth chart, it's not very good after Aaron Jones and uh, Dylan. It really is for the taking that Callan Hill can be the number three guy there. And that could potentially be a fruitful role. I do think Rodgers will be there this next year. So I think it'll be kind of interesting to see what happens though. But I think that ultimately we're probably a year away from any type of uh, real Kylan Hill hype without some type of injury to either Aaron Jones or uh, A.J. Dillon. Now, who are some current players, Cody, that you're going to see in the same role that Callan Hill will hopefully be able to play at some point in the NFL? I mean, you're kind of looking at, like, in that same area, right? Kylan Hill had an 86.6 receiver rating. His tier that he puts him around is a Chase Edmonds, 88.3. You know, Kylan Hill, very similar standalone value for guys, oftentimes even not a primary role. Uh, a couple other guys in ratings in that area, Naheem Hines, 97.3. James White, 95.5. Giovanni Bernard, 98.2. All three of these guys you've seen carve out long careers and can be useful and passable as a RB in occasional fantasy starters over the years. James White was a league winner just three, four years ago. I rode James White to a fantasy championship just because of his receiving prowess in New England next to Tom Brady. So on that note, not every backfield, though, is going to have that clearly defined satellite back or this is a team with a bell cow. Cody... Talk to talk to me about Miami. This is a backfield that many people are having a hard time getting a good read on and actually has one of the more interesting 2021 rookies as part of the mix there. This is one of, I mean, your favorite backs. I know early in the offseason was Miles Gaskin, right? He, he's in that smaller, smaller role, kind of like what Austin Eckler does out in L.A. with the Chargers, you know. But from a big standpoint, a bigger bell cow guy that can take those goal line touches we all thought it was going to be Malcolm Brown. He was 28 years old. He's coming over from the Rams. He was an undrafted free agent. Miles Gaskin was a seventh-round pick. Selvin Ahmed was an undrafted free agent. There was no really allegiance to anybody other than Miles Gaskin, who had a solid year last year, averaging, I believe, 16.3 fantasy points per game, where Austin Eckler averaged 16.5. Jared Dokes coming in in the seventh round this year. He is 23 years old. Yes, he ran a 4.63 40-yard dash, but he's got 87th percentile burst score at 5'11", 228. I've said this multiple times in other podcasts. He's the one big dude that did not disappoint at the pro day, and he still went in the seventh round. That just kind of tells you where the, the, the state of this class is at. 
But Jared Dokes, best comparable to TJ Yeldon, never crested 1,000 yards in, in college, had 500-plus all three seasons he played at Cincinnati. I think Jared Dokes fits in that, that kind of role right next to Miles Gaskin. Josh, can Dokes be the Josh Kelly to Austin Eckler's Miles Gaskin? I mean, I don't see why not. Malcolm Brown was frustratingly used last year for all of us Akers or Henderson owners, and he really looked like another NFL running back towards the tail end of his career last season. I don't think Malcolm Brown is going to be there for all that long, getting all that many snaps. And the Dolphins' history would probably back that up. This is not a team that has particular allegiance to free agent running backs. Remember last season when everyone was so excited for Jordan Howard and Matt Breida, the thunder and lightning combination? Nobody was drafting Miles Gaskin. It was obviously the Jordan Howard-Matt Breida show until neither of them played any meaningful snaps throughout the entire season because Miles Gaskin just took over that backfield. And they were getting paid more than Malcolm Brown was getting. So I don't think Malcolm Brown is there for anything more than some leadership early on, helping the running back room get settled in. And then I really don't think he's going to get that many meaningful snaps. And just to your point about Dokes with his incredible burst score, what you guys, what you have to remember when looking at uh, a guy like Dokes with a really impressive burst score is that when we're calculating the burst score and looking at his vertical jump, looking at his broad jump, Dokes is 228 pounds. So if he's going to have an impressive vertical leap at 228, that is that is in like exponentially more impressive than if a 200 pound running back has a similar vertical leap. So that's what we have to keep in mind is that burst score, the percentile for that of 87th, that's not size adjusted. That is just in general, Dokes is one of the most explosive running backs regardless of size. And then you add on that this guy is actually pretty similarly built. I mean, he's actually even stockier even than a Najee Harris. He's going to be a similar weight to Najee, but two to three inches shorter. So, I mean, this, this guy's going to look like a bowling ball out there. He could... He, he could be kind of a sneaky candidate to get like seven, eight rookie rushing touchdowns out of nowhere. Now, I we've talked before. Matt's talked about it. We can't really have a podcast where we mention the Dolphins and not talk about how this is a well above average front office. We all know that. Cody, you've done some hard work. You've done some analysis, some research. And there is a franchise that has been uh, less than impressive compared to a team like the Dolphins. Why don't you give the good people out there a little taste of it, of a team that many of us have been kind of, to be, for lack of a better term, utterly disappointed in with what they've done to build the team. Talk to me. Well, uh, this is something that has really got on my nerves, to be honest with you. If, if you backtrack even a week, <laughs> you know, we talked about the Cleveland Browns uh, with, with Matt about how they use the breakout finder. They have to, right? They got Donovan Peoples-Jones, Anthony Schwartz, Demetrius Felton doing things right. You just talked about the Dolphins doing things right. The Bears, Evan and Matt broke those guys down months ago, but just going in the wrong direction and, and using assets the wrong way. Another team that's doing the exact same thing the Bears are, but they're not quite getting as much heckling, is the Atlanta Falcons. Now let me rewind you to the year of 2018 when they extended the 34-year-old Matt Ryan, paying him $48.6 million now in his age 37 season with no out money in his contract. They owe him all $48.6 million at age 37. Woof. Then... They draft a 23 and a half year old running or they draft a 23 and a half year old wide receiver in round one 
in Calvin Ridley. Yeah, I know where Calvin Ridley's at now, but guess what? He's also 27 years old almost. Darius Leonard was available at that time. So when I see people saying, Atlanta needs defense, Atlanta needs defense, you could have had Darius Leonard and then taken receiver at some other point later in drafts if you understood positional scarcity, how drafts were going to be coming like the 2020 class, the 2021 class with wide receivers. Next, they took Isaiah Oliver over now pro bowler Carlton Davis, who now plays for their intra-divisional rival, Tampa Bay Super Bowl champion Buccaneers. 2020, they signed the corpse of Todd Gurley, who does nothing. Next, you take a cornerback again in historical wide receiver class in 2020, A.J. Terrell over CeeDee Lamb. A.J. Terrell, mind you, finished dead last, allowed the most yards among every cornerback in the NFL in 2020. They draft Marlon Davidson in the second round over Chase Claypool, Cam Akers, Jalen Hurts, J.K. Dobbins. Not only did they they pass over Dobbins once for Marlon Davidson, they also traded their second round pick that they also traded their second round pick in 2020 for a tight end that they now declined his option going forward in Hayden Hurst, who's also now 28 years old. Coming to 2021, they signed Mike Davis as their, you know, pump it up. As they're now pumping up Bell Cow back just because he filled in the role behind Christian McCaffrey when he got hurt and he looked so good. Yeah, yeah good luck. Now you have Matt Ryan and Mike Davis. Julio <laughs> Jones left. You have an aging Hayden Hurst and old Kelvin Ridley. Now you, now what do you do? You draft a tight end top five with Justin Fields, Jamar Chase, J.C. Horn. You want a, you want a cornerback? J.C. Horn, Patrick Sertain, offensive lineman, Rashawn Slater, all available. No, instead you draft Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts is great. I get that. But it's dumb. From a franchise-building standpoint, there's there's no reason to draft a tight end top five, let alone like top ten. I, I, no, you just don't do it. They draft Richie Grant in round two, a weak safety class with Rondell Moore, Samuel Cosme, uh, Jer, uh, Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa all on the board. Next. Oh, I'm sorry, Josh. This is step 11. If, if you're counting at home, step 11. You trade your number one asset, Julio freaking Jones and a sixth-round pick for a second and a fourth. This is great value at this point. But team-building-wise, think where you just went from. You went from being able to hypothetically have Justin Fields, J.K. Dobbins. You could have had Kelvin Ridley if you kept him, I guess, long-term. CeeDee Lamb. And maybe if you had enough money, you could have kept Austin Hooper in Atlanta. Why spend money on Mike Davis? Why waste money on Todd Gurley when you could have drafted and started to build a team? I'll tell you what's next, Josh. It's Atlanta Falcons going 5-12 and 12 in 2021 and burning another year of Matt Ryan and burning another year of Kelvin Ridley. It's just disappointing. While you were talking, actually, I quickly pulled up because I was thinking, you know what? We don't really have a great track record recently with these round one tight ends. So let me just read off a few franchises to you. Let me know if they're, if they're really good teams right now. We've got in 2019, we had Hawkinson and Fant taking round one. I don't think the Lions or Broncos are incredible franchises right now. They don't look like they're going to be playoff teams. We could go back to 2018 where, I mean, goodness, 25-year-old Hayden Hurst was a round one pick. We know what happened. The Ravens wanted to make the playoffs, so they got rid of him and then made the playoffs and sent him off to the Falcons. We have OJ Howard from 2017. The Bucks won the Super Bowl in the year that he got injured, so clearly not a factor at all. We can go back before that. We can even get 2014 with Eric Ebron, also on the Lions. This team clearly has a thing for the round one tight end. And I mean, what am I missing here? The 
the Lions have not been good. None of these recent teams that are investing heavy capital and tight end have been all that great because it's just not necessarily the most difference-making position for real football. Now, you've been working behind the scenes on a huge project. The people of Twitter have gotten a little bit of insight into it. They've seen some really nice-looking screenshots and player pages, but most people out there do not know about Project Boutte. And it actually weaves in pretty nicely with the Breakout Finder and that type of work because the Breakout Finder is all about looking at looking ahead and saying, here's these prospects where the average fan doesn't know much about them. They've never played a snap in the NFL. How are they going to do? Now talk to us about Project Boutte and what people can expect to see now on Player Profiler. Project Boutte, man, has been one of the biggest projects you know closest to my heart I, I just love the college game and, and looking at all these guys before they get to the NFL you want to know if you hit on the rookies that's how you build a good dynasty team I know you can make trades you can do all this stuff but really the way to build a dynasty team is to hit on rookies good rookies and even rookies later on in drafts now you know Project Butte may be focused on some of the higher end guys at this moment but I'm telling you it's only going to grow from here. If you want to find the next breakout LSU receiver, you know, you had Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Terrace Marshall, Kayshawn Butte. The project was named after him. He ran a 4-3-7 out of high school. We have that now on playerprofiler.com. You can type in Kayshawn Butte. You're going to get his 2020 college dominator, even though he was a true freshman and only has one season. He's got a college dominator. He even registered a breakout age, unlike Henry Ruggs. 98th percentile, 735 receiving yards as a true freshman. Kayshawn Butte is on the board. You want to find the next overrated Alabama receiver? Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith. John Michi is your guy. Type him into player profiler. He is there. Maybe the best of all, Traylon Burks, 6'3", 232, alpha receiver from Arkansas. He already has a 97th percentile college dominator, and he broke out at age 19.5. And the rumor is the dude might have a 5XL-sized hand. So I don't know if he's ever going to drop a football. And now if you want to go to running backs, we got running backs too. The 2022 class is looking top-heavy just like 2021. Breesy Hall, Isaiah Spiller, Kevin Harris leading the way. A couple of plotters, but Breesy Hall seems to be the go-to guy. And if you even want to go to 2023, we have Bijan Robinson and Tank Bigsby. We have everybody from Spencer Rattler to Marvin Mims, to Traylon Burks, and Kevin Harris. They're all on playerprofiler.com. The Boutte Project is in full force. If they don't have pro day or, or combine numbers, they have high school metrics, and they're on Player Profiler right now. But with the 2022 and 2023 class coming in strong, Josh, let's talk about the running back landscape from 2017 to now. So... The 2017 running back class was phenomenal. And I'm actually going to read some names off from that class in just a minute. But one thing that is kind of predictable in the circle of life with these running backs is that a great running back class comes in. And then you can generally expect the year after that class, two years after that class, once all the best running backs are fully cemented in their workhorse roles, that's when you can often have a lot of depth at the running back position for dynasty, for redraft, for best ball. Because a lot of these guys, year one, they flash. We saw Jonathan Taylor flash inconsistently. We saw Akers do the same. We saw Swift do the same. Very few of these guys are just going to come out the gate swinging for every single game that they're active, unless their name is apparently James Robinson. So we kind of know the cycle of the year two, year three is when they really pop. 
And if we're looking at the breakout finder now, this 2017 class had 15 running backs with a breakout rating above 20. That is so much depth. And you might want some kind of context or comparison because 15 guys with a breakout rating over 20, like, I think that's good. But what does that really mean? 15 guys. The 2021 class we don't think was particularly deep. There were not 15 guys with a breakout rating of 20 or more. There were only seven of those guys. And now, Cody, I want to kick something over to you. I had this tweet from a couple days ago, and I want to get your thoughts on it. And this way, people can kind of understand just how historic this 2017 running back class was. It says, and I quote, Guys from the 2017 running back class that were better than every running back from the 2019 class. Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, Joe Mixon, Kareem Hunt, Leonard Fournette, Austin Eckler, Aaron Jones, Chris Carson, and I'm leaving out a few other guys like James Conner, Marlon Mack, Wayne Gallman, Jamal Williams, Matt Breida. There's a lot of production there. But Cody, do you think that Sanders, Jacobs, and Montgomery from that 2019 class, do any of them have a chance to unseat any of those 2017 guys and kind of take a place there? Or were those nine names that I mentioned all actually a clear cut above the Miles Sanders, Josh Jacobs, Montgomery trio from 2019? For me, you got to look at this from a few different views, right? Obviously, you got the big four dominated. I think Kareem Hunt could have thrown himself in there as the fifth uh, um, if he didn't have some incidents. But Leonard Fournette's the one guy where you say, all right, right now, yeah, he probably, you know, I'd probably rather have Miles Sanders. Um, but Leonard Fournette as a prospect, Leonard Fournette as a prospect was about as good as they come, and we expected him to be, you know, top two in this class if anything. And then we saw guys like Eckler and Chris Carson, even Aaron Jones go later on in the draft. So from a prospect standpoint, I think you would have still lent towards Miles Sanders, even though he only had one 1,200-yard season at Penn State, being that behind Saquon Barkley, the number one player in the breakout finder. But if I'm looking at this list right now, today, if, you, if you're telling me, hey, choose a guy right now for my team, I'm taking this whole list from 2017 over Sanders, Jacobs, Montgomery. I was never big on Jacobs at Alabama, never really getting the full role. And I think you'll see that right now with Kenyon Drake, you know, coming in there. He's not going to get a full role. He's not built for it, even though he should be. Montgomery did what he did last year. Is it a one-year fluke? I think so. I mean, I think he could. There's a reason they brought in Daryl Williams or Damian. There's a reason they brought in Damian Williams, Khalil Herbert, Terry Cohen's healthy, all these guys, right? Miles Sanders is the one guy that makes you think twice. But in Philadelphia... I'm not there. I'm taking this whole list that you got in front of me, Josh, and that even counts Austin Eckler, who's a little undersized, Fournette, Big Fat Lenny, and I'm even taking Chris Carson, who I think is probably the most underrated out of this whole bunch. Yeah, I can't argue with that. I mean, when I when I sent that tweet out, I knew there was going to be some engagement, but truly from my heart, I meant it. I mean, that, that 2019 running back class was just not very good. The breakout finder kind of reflects that, where none of these guys were getting the elite like 60, 70 breakout ratings like a lot of those 2017 guys were getting and another thing that you can look at now is so let's just say that we knew 2017 was a great class we knew it at the time we just didn't even realize how freaking deep it was because we didn't know undrafted austin eckler would emerge seventh round chris carson would emerge but when we have a great class like 2017 with incredible depth just like we seem to have right now with 2020 the next couple seasons are often really fruitful for fantasy production from the running back position. 2018, 
We had five running backs crest 300 fantasy points. Eight of them crested 250 fantasy points. 16 of them top 200. 2019, McCaffrey had nearly 500 fantasy points as a running back. He broke the position. There were three other running backs in 2019 that were over 300 fantasy points. Another eight guys over 250. 18 guys over 200 fantasy points. And that was two years after the monster 2017 class. So you can kind of see that snowballing effect where year one, they get acclimated. Years two and three are when they frequently are thriving. Cody, in a couple years, some of these guys might be aging out. The McCaffrey's, the Dalvin Cooks. Can we thread the needle? Will there be enough relevant 2020 guys from that stacked class last year that can make up for the underwhelming 2019 and 2021 classes lack of depth? The 2020 class needs to come through in the long run, like 2017 did, uh, with McCaffrey, Cook, Kamara, and even having some guys not quite meet expectations, like Mixon, Fournette, Hunt, etc., like that. But, you know, in order to keep this running back renaissance going into 2023 with Tank Bigsby, Bijan Robinson bringing us another loaded class, you're going to have guys even further down the list, maybe a Cameron Harris from Miami, maybe a Noah Kane from Penn State, even a Ramon Davis from Vanderbilt or Mo Ibrahim from Minnesota. Like we're going to have guys coming in. And I think that 2023 class is where we really have to point our finger and say, man, I really think that's the one. That's the one that's going to fill in the gap and really, really take over from this 2021 and even 2022 class that I think are underwhelming. Um, But you know what? Let's end on this one, Josh. What rookie do you have the most conviction on that will break out in 2021? Now, obviously, we all think Najee Harris and Jamar Chase will break out in year one. And I'm going to go a tiny bit deeper than that. You want the guy. I want the guy. We all want the guy that's getting used out of the backfield. The guy getting plenty of targets from a young, talented, and mobile quarterback. A guy that broke out his freshman season at age 18. The guy with a 93rd percentile college target share. You know where I'm going with this, for everyone listening. You know which players I like. He had nearly 1,500 scrimmage yards as a true 18-year-old freshman, coupled with over 700 special teams yards. Someone who has already proven they can outcompete bigger, older, more mature competition with ease. Playing on a fast-paced offense with the wide receiver two-chair up for grabs. I want a guy whose avatar on player profiler is a goddamn superhero. Give me Rondell Moore. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure. It's always tough with like a, I don't usually do like the back and forth show sheet because when I have my code breaker guests, they purely just like look at my script and I kind of know already like what the questions I'm going to ask them so I can like glance at my estimated word count or whatever and be like, all right, like this is 
about how long I'm gonna pencil myself in and then I know they're probably gonna talk like twice as long as me, things like that. But for this one with like us kind of trading off research, I wasn't quite sure, but I think it went pretty well. It was interesting. I think it did too. It felt like we just got takes on takes the whole time. Pure takes. Which, and I think, but we think we still got uh, a shitload of breakout finder information in there, which I think every single thing we talked about, we referenced it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What I recall. Um, and then the show will be longer. I mean, we'll throw the, I'll throw this in the outtakes. You're, you're still recording, Are you right? recording? Yeah, I still am. Cool. Yeah, we can put this in the outtakes. Okay. It'll be a little over 40 minutes. I don't quite know. I think it'll be interesting, actually, because this is going to come out a week after Codebreaker. And I'm going to talk about running backs pretty in-depth. So it'll be kind of cool to have, like, a lot of running back content for people thinking about the running back landscape because right now I've seen so many podcasts and articles from other sites about the running back dead zone. And like, what does that mean? And like, you can just see it with like running back slipping right now in ADP. I think there's like more and more people that are getting like woke to this, but not actually understanding how you're supposed to apply this research. And that's kind of what like the code breaker that's getting released like on Friday of this past week is aimed at kind of debunking. And then hopefully this people can start to understand too. Like, all right, like it's kind of a cyclical thing. Bad 2019 and 2021 classes good 2020 class probably a pretty good 2022 2023 class what can we likely see in dynasty and then in redraft for those like kind of like hoops and valleys or whatever or hoops and valleys i don't hills and valleys <laughs> i'm caught up in your kevin durant dropping 40 points hoops and valleys <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, th I think it's going to be good because that's perfect because I know you're going to go hard. You're always doing the code breaker and then, and then this puppy is going to drop and we're really going to be sitting at about two weeks until the Scott Fishbowl happens. And that's quarterback centered really um, as far as the scoring goes, uh, as you would know, uh, breaking down all the projections and stuff. But just kind of bringing some attention to the running backs and, and kind of the, probably what people are honestly overlooking. You know, they're fading some at some point, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited for this 2023 class more than 2022. And and I think the value still, honestly, on Antonio Gibson, dude, I still think there's a lot of value with him in that 2020 class. Um, I haven't. Yeah, Gibson definitely. And, and even if you... I think it's Gibson, Gibson and Swift. And then people, there's still some people that are really in on acres and I think we're in that boat. Obviously, we've been there since day one this last year. Um, and, and you've been leading really the swift charge as well. I think all three of those guys are are kind of undervalued at this point. I think they can still be pushed up because they all have, in my opinion, overall RB1 upside, you know, in, in maybe not 2021, but 2022 for, for, I mean, this might be a hot take, but like that's what, I mean, I think they all, they, all three of those guys have that upside. And then you're not even talking about JT. Yeah, I think what's interesting is like, so obviously we have Jonathan Taylor ranked above them. He's our running back one in Dynasty. But I don't think that like an Akers, a Gibson, a Swift, I don't think these guys are so far behind where if you have Jonathan Taylor, you could throw out an offer where you're getting back an Akers, Swift, Gibson plus a first. That could get accepted. And I would take that. I mean, you could just throw that out there, like, especially with Swift, you could even get potentially like a first Swift, 
maybe even like another little cookie. People just like really don't like Swift right now. Gibson's turf toe, they really don't like Gibson for some reason. Like it seems like most people at this point have kind of warmed up to the idea that like, you know what, like Acres is happening. They didn't do anything when Malcolm Brown left. Jarrell Henderson is clearly like a complimentary back. So I think that if you have Jonathan Taylor, you could consider like, I would never like advocate like you have to sell Jonathan Taylor. No, no, no. Like this is the RB1 in Dynasty. He's going to be there for a while potentially. But if you can get like this crazy value discrepancy with another owner in your league, Gibson could smash. Like this is a guy whose prospect profile from a receiving perspective is like Jonathan Taylor's nowhere close to what Gibson is as a receiver purely from the, the college production. Same with Swift. I gave up Jonathan Taylor in a, in a late second round pick. Uh, was this May in May during the rookie draft? It was Jonathan Taylor and a second round pick, and I got Barkley in the 106. Um, and I felt pretty good about that because I think Barkley's in that same area. But like you just said, Jonathan Taylor. I mean, it's it's fuck Marlon Mack, dude. I I don't know what to think about that or Naheem Hines. Um, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about. Yeah, I think Hines is like. But I think. Hines is decent. Like, Hines is good in, in that. I was yeah, going to say, like, I think, like, like you could go. Go. <laughs> I was going to say, like, Hines isn't going away. And, like, yeah, I think, like, per touch, obviously, they want Taylor in there. But teams are smart enough at this point where they realize, like, the days of, like, the early 2000s where you just give a running back 350 to 400 touches, that's not sustainable in the long run. And that there were so many incredible talents that got burnt out within two seasons in the NFL of 15 to 20 years ago, that if you have a Naheem Hines who is a good pass catcher and is reliable and isn't going to be such a downgrade in a pure receiving back role, that this is a good guy that you want to put in in certain situations and take some reps away from Taylor. Because, I mean, like not everyone's going to be Derrick Henry where they're handling 300 plus carries year after year. I've done the research. Very few running backs are getting like... Very few running backs get 300 carries to begin with now. And then on top of that, like very few of them are ever going to replicate that in any season, let alone in consecutive years like Henry's been doing. So the Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry's of the world, that's so rare to have a guy with back-to-back workhorse seasons like that. Am I am I crazy to have Antonio Gibson as my RB3 in Dynasty? Is that crazy? No, I wouldn't say you're crazy. I would say... Uh, I mean, I see it. If you're going for upside, sure. Like, this is a guy that, I mean, he had 750 receiving yards in a college season. He ran a sub 4-4. He's feature back size. He's on a team that we actually think is starting to do a few things correctly. And hopefully for 2022 gets a, gets his long-term quarterback of the future. So, I'm, I'm excited about him. And even, even that with a team that we just talked about that's not doing right, the right things. DeAndre Swift in in Detroit and I guess the the kind of thought that I've always had and why you know I was never the biggest fan of him as a prospect but when you look at the team build kind of where they're at in the build it reminded me too much of McCaffrey and just knowing like they can really lean on this dude and like he could go and become the number one like 
just strictly on targets. And you've said this a million times, like, you know, what did you say, four and a half receptions a game or something, four and a half targets a game? Last year's a rookie? Like, why can't Swift, even if Jamal Williams gets his carries, and yes, I know, I want Jamar Jefferson to carve out a rule, but it's probably not going to happen behind DeAndre Swift. But why can't DeAndre Swift kind of take that McCaffrey-type role in a shitty team which we don't see often, where you take, go to a shitty team as a running back and do something, why can't he sit in that McCaffrey role? Can he? Is that something that you think is possible, where he can actually jump over all these guys we just talked about and kind of create this, this uh, I don't know, kind of uh, reoccurrence where we saw McCaffrey do it, can Swift do it? I think he can. So I just pulled up the win-loss records from Carolina, and it's like 2018, 7 and 9, 2019, 5 and 11. So McCaffrey's smash season of 2019, the Panthers went 5 and 11. And there's like this misconception that bad teams are bad for the running backs. And yes, bad teams are bad for the running backs who don't catch passes. That's often the case. But when they catch passes, that's just the cheat code. They they're never going to be game scripted out. And just by touching the ball, you give them a fantasy point. That's why with PPR, these running back targets are so important. Is that if you run your running, you you have your running back go up the middle for three yards, that's 0.3 fantasy points. If he catches a pass for negative two yards because the team sucks, minus two yards caught a pass, that's 0.8 fantasy points. So it's nearly three times as valuable for a running back to catch a pass for a two yard loss than to run for a three yard gain. And that's what we're dealing with in PPR. And that's why... McCaffrey was a cheat code, why I think Swift can be a cheat code, why Gibson, if he ever improves his pass blocking and stays on the field more, will be a cheat code, is that these running back targets are just, they're gold. That's why Naheem Hines and JD McKissick were RB2s last year. I don't think either of them hit 100 rush attempts, did they? 